the declaration of the scriptures of the sonship of Jesus Christ. And we'll use for our, our starting reference a passage from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the 22nd chapter, beginning with verse 41. We'll read through verse 46. I uh, share this little anecdote with you. A man I work for, a Jewish man, and uh, sometimes he asks me questions. Sometimes I don't want to answer his questions, so I ask him a question with the question. He says, you can't do that. You're not Jewish. I said, well, I'm close and I can do it. He says, okay, okay, so what's the question? I said, tell me what the question was again. We wind up not answering anything, but the Lord Jesus Christ is very Jewish, and he answered many questions by asking a question, his answer. He'd been confronted with the Pharisees, and they were, they were dogging him. It seemed as though everywhere he went, they had some of their number there to heckle, to bait him, to ask him questions that they knew if he answered they would, he would get himself into difficulty, either doctrinally or with the people, or they'd be able to accuse him of some terrible doctrinal misstatement or blasphemy or something. But the Lord Jesus Christ rarely answered them directly and almost always responded with a question himself. And they had just gotten through asking him a series of very difficult questions where we pick up this narrative this evening. The Pharisees were, gather, were gathered together, so Jesus asked them, and he said, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? And they say unto him, The son of David. And he saith unto them, How then doth David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord sit, said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word. Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Now let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gathering together of this, your church. We thank you for the faithfulness of her members, for the clarity of her doctrine, and for the power, your power, to sustain her. I pray now that our purpose for gathering here as a church will, will be met and that our Lord will be magnified and lifted up. And I pray you will give us hearts and minds and spirits to worship you through our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray in his name, amen. prophets of the Old Testament, many of the prophets who, who foretold of Messiah, of the Christ, defined him pretty clearly. There were areas, of course, of shadowy definition. Not everything was clear. For example, it was not difficult for a student of 
several of the Old Testament prophets to determine that the Messiah would be a sufferer. But it was equally not difficult for others reading the prophets to determine that Messiah was a deliverer. And because there were those two sides of this of this person yet to come, it was difficult for many to understand how he could be both, and some invented a doctrine whereby there would be two different messiahs, one to suffer and one to deliver. But of course, on the basis of that, there could be no deliverance, because if one would suffer and be unable to deliver, if one would die and be unable to conquer death, then how would he ever have the power, how would the one who would come after him have the power to deliver if he also did not suffer those things. So it was a difficult problem. But there was one thing that was eminently clear throughout all of the scriptures, and that is that in human lineage, the Christ, the Messiah, would be in the line of David. Now, now we know that the word of God is very careful to preserve that idea. It has caused many, I, I know, to wonder why it was so important or is so important to the God of heaven to preserve and identify that Christ would be David's son. Why not Elijah's son? Or Moses' son? Or someone else's son? Why, why David's son? Or for that matter, why anyone's son? And therein lies the difficulty. A lot of religions are based upon personality cults and divine and devotion to the characters who, after whom the religions sometimes are named. I, I just give you one example. I'll give you Islam, Mohammedism. Mohammed is not claimed to be deity by the followers of Islam, but they adore him as though he were deity. And they acknowledge him and respect him almost to the point of his being deity. They understand that Muhammad was a very special character and they call him a prophet. Well, the followers of Islam acknowledge that Jesus Christ was a prophet. And that he was also a unique person and character in history. But it's vital that we understand what the scriptures say about Jesus Christ and sonship. Thus he asked the question, whose son do you say the Christ is? And they said David's son. It's the right answer. In a technical Bible quiz, that would be have to be marked off as right. Correct. But in a heavenly quiz, it would have to be marked as incorrect. And the Lord Jesus Christ made that very plain by his explanation of their answer when he said, if David is the father of the Messiah, how is it that he says of him, Lord? Does the father call the son Lord? And the answer 
obviously is no. So what is this business then about the sonship of Jesus Christ? You're aware, of course, that the New Testament has a great deal to say about Jesus Christ being God's son. And Christ himself says that he is God's son. He makes that claim about himself over and over and over again, many times over. There can be no misunderstanding about that. And you know that there were lines of, of what were called Anabaptists who, who believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God by adoption. I mean, there are all kinds of viewpoints of how Christ is God's Son. No, that's right. They, they believed that Jesus Christ was virgin-born, but that he didn't become God until he was baptized. And at that time, God adopted him and he became deity. Bet you didn't know that, some of you. Well, it's true. But it's not biblical. The Bible doesn't say anything like that, nor teach anything like that. The Bible teaches about the eternalness of the sonship of Jesus Christ. Let me, let me just take a moment to make a definition here between mystery and revelation or mystery and difficulty. Maybe I better put it that way. Mystery religions are religions of secrets. It's mysterious because no one can figure it out and no one can understand what's going on. God is the Father. He didn't become known as Father until Christ was revealed at his, as his son. It is Christ who first acknowledged God as father, the first human being that I'm aware of in the scriptures to acknowledge God as father. Subsequently, of course, we all acknowledge God as father. There's a good reason for it. Because if Christ is the son of God and acknowledges him as father, and if we are children of God by reason of our being identified with Christ and thus adopted by God into his family, then we have right to call him Father. So we do. Our Heavenly Father. Uh, but that gets past the point. So you have the Eternal Father, and if Christ is his Son, you have the Eternal Son, and if the Comforter is real, then you have the eternal comforter or spirit. And therefore, you have the three in one, the triune God, the unity of three in one person, God. That's not a mystery. It's not a mystery because Scripture reveals that as a fact. Therefore, it is not a mystery. It's a difficulty, but not a mystery. We do not cloud the reality of the statements of Scripture and call them mysteries. Christ is God's eternal Son, based upon clear divine revelation. Let me go just a little further. Why Son? Why, why Son? Because one might argue... A father having a son implies the beginning of a character or person. When parents have a child, the child is born and he is a new person. 
one who did not exist before. The idea of God having a son is to some an obstacle because they say the son cannot be eternal. He, after all, was begotten of God. The Jehovah's Witnesses say that. He is begotten of God. The Bible says that. So the difficulty is raised. How do you deal with the sonship of Jesus Christ in relation to his eternalness as the Son of God? Well, I, I don't profess to know all the answers, but I, I certainly do know this. I know that the epiphany, the incarnation of God is in the person of Christ. I know that. That's, that's clearly delineated in the scriptures. There can be no question if you, if you believe the Bible is true to that statement. The incarnation of Christ is the, the, the birth of Christ is the incarnation of God. Incarnation or epiphany simply means that God became man. Therefore, Christ refers to himself both as the Son of God and as the Son of Man. He is the Son of Man because he was born of a woman. He is the Son of God because he has always been the Son of God and was born through the woman, conceived of the Holy Spirit of God. When the scriptures say, well here, let's, let's turn to uh, the book of Hebrews just for a moment, the very first chapter. Keep, keep your finger, well, we, we probably won't go back to, to the Matthew passage. The very first several verses. Now you have to Put your mind in gear and pay attention here. Hopefully we'll be able to make a, some practical application of all this in a moment. God, it says in the very first verse of Hebrews chapter 1, at sundry times and in divers manners spoke in time past unto the fathers, the Jewish fathers, by the prophets. But in these last days, has spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, and by whom also he made the world. So if, if, you, if you want to mark your Bible, you can take that passage of Scripture, verse 2, and you can put down the eternalness of the Son. He made the worlds. Anything or anyone, any being, who predated time, if there's such a thing as predating time, but for purposes of identification and because of our finite ability to understand these things. Anyone, any person, any, any living being who lived before time began, and time didn't begin until this world was formed and the sun was set in place and the, axis, the earth began spinning on its axis and began rotating around the sun. There was no time. So anyway, Christ was the one by whom and through whom the worlds were made, not just this world, but all worlds. If there are any other worlds, all the planets, all the spheres, all the galaxies. Therefore, he is eternal. So you can mark that verse as speaking to the eternalness of the Son of God, by his Son. And then you can mark the next verse, which simply reads, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his purpose and the up, of his person and the upholding of all things by the word of his power, 
when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. You can write, you can, you can put down in that particular verse, incarnation, epiphany, the, the revelation of God in a person, the person being Jesus Christ. The next verse tells us simply that he is superior to all beings who are created. Superior to angels. And angels, in, in terms of power, are, are superior to people, to men and women. So he's superior to all other creatures. But he himself is a creature. And it's, we, it's important that we understand that. The incarnation of Christ is God determining to make revelation of himself in the view of men. And that's why I believe, I truly believe, that that's why from the time that Christ preached his first sermon when he was baptized until the time of his crucifixion and his resurrection, and all time subsequent to that time, all men are without excuse. Because God revealed himself plainly as to who he is, what his character is, what he is in the person of Jesus Christ. It, if it were not for the incarnation of, of, of Christ, if God didn't become flesh, if he wasn't begotten as a son in time, if, if the scripture, which several, verse later, uh, several verses later, well, in the fifth verse of the same chapter says, Thou art my beloved son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son does not mean that at some point in time Jesus Christ came into existence to reveal God. It simply means that, means that at some point in time God took upon himself the garb of flesh in order to reveal himself. But he always was, and he always will be, and he never changes. So if you want to catch a glimpse of what God is like, then learn about Jesus Christ, because he is God. If you want to know how God would behave if he were here, look at Jesus Christ, because he is God, and he was here, and he did behave in a certain way. If you want to know the truth about eternity and eternal characters and eternal dispositions and about holiness and about any other thing that you can think that applies to heavenly material and heavenly truth and heavenly doctrine, Look at Jesus Christ. Do you see what an advantage we have today over those who predated the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ? We have, we have seen him. We know him. We are acquainted with him. He has been revealed to us. We know a considerable amount about him. We have information about him that those who died before his birth could never have had. They had little hints and glimpses, prophetic utterances. But we in the latter days have Christ who is God. And so the sonship of Jesus Christ becomes the major doctrine of, Christian, of the Christian faith because Jesus Christ is God and reveals God in him, in himself. Now, what does this mean for us? Well, there isn't anything that you know 
to be or to do. There isn't anything that you know to pray or to will. There's any place that you know to go or from which to stay that you cannot determine simply by knowing the incarnate Son of God. He's a, re he's a revealer of all those things. And it is no small statement when Peter said that we are to follow in his steps. In other places of scripture we are told to put him on, to put on Christ, to wear him as though he were us. Someone looks at you or if you look at yourself in the mirror, you are readily identifiable as who you are. Your facial expressions, characteristics of your physiognomy, quickly reveal you and identify you. Oftentimes people will know you not only by the way you look, but by your temperament, by your personality, by the way you treat others, or what you say, what you do, where you go, the kinds of things that interest you, all of those things will determine your identity. And yet the scriptures say of us, Wear Christ. Put on Christ. Let him be your identity. The scriptures also tell us that it is our purpose, our purpose for being here. Why were we born and why are we here? You know, those old questions. Who am I? What am I doing here? Where am I going? Those are all questions that are answered very quickly in the Bible. But the point is that all of the children of God, all of those who belong to the family of God, all those who are heirs with Christ, all are to live their entire lives in service to him. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy power. And elsewhere it says, in him only shalt thou serve. We serve God best only when we serve Christ, or we serve him not at all. We're here to magnify Christ, to worship Christ, to serve Christ, and to be like Christ, as Christ is God. And God has been gracious enough to give us the identity of himself in the person and character of the God-man, Jesus Christ. Him only shalt thou serve.